Hello, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture, the podcast where myself and a few of my friends get together and discuss nerdy things. Just a reminder, if you like what you're listening to, please subscribe to Seriously Pointless Conversations' YouTube channel, or you can find us on your favorite podcasting apps. Thank you for your support. Without you, none of this would be possible. Thanks for coming by. Now let's get into the episode. Do not show me those videos. I will not, I will not sleep. <laughs> Kelly, Kelly's mad at me now, isn't she? Yes. That's what I figured. That's it's not your fault. It's my fault for showing you. And then of course you're, it is. And then you have to share this. That's why I told she knows you. that I can't control myself. So, <laughs> so it's it my fault. It must be the people around me whose problem it is. You sound like Jackie. It's just like she'll say that. It's like, why do you guys do that? And I go because it's like. It's like you find something that's so just disturbing. We have to share it with the other people. See, sure. girls don't do that. Guys no. totally do that. I'm like, this is the most gross and disgusting thing yeah, I've ever seen. guys are like, hey, take a look at this giant dump that I did. <laughs> You're like, look, it doesn't fit the toilet. They're like, oh, God. It's, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Girls are like, I'm just going to flush my shame. <laughs> Hide it from the world. Exactly. We don't hide it. We we're like that we deserves a gold. That needs a gold star and a plaque. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's one of the best South Park episodes ever. It's true. I'm number. Are you on number two? I am number one. Remember that it's one? Like you've always been a number two. Oh God. Just a number two. Hi guys, and welcome back to seriously pointless conversations about culture. The seriously pointless conversations that we have about culture and nerd information. Uh, I'm back here again with James again, and we're going to be hitting uh, the second half of the Red Alert franchise. Hopefully, <laughs> this isn't going to be a three-potter. We didn't, we Hopefully, we'll stay on topic this time. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try seriously because we we are bad. I don't know if you guys have figured this out. Like I said, we get seriously sidetracked for the most random junk ever. I'll take responsibility for the last episode. That was my fault. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. You can, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely, I'm a cohort. I'm definitely a cohort in that whole situation. So, um, yeah. But anyways, um, so like I was saying, this is going to be the uh, follow-up to our last episode, which was all about Red Alert 1, which is the rest of, uh, Westwood Studios' uh, groundbreaking RTS that was released in 1995. Now we're going to be following up with the Red Alert 2, which is the... Uh, it's going to be the successor to that, which was released in October of 2000, uh, and it actually was, like its, like its predecessor, it was full of all these now famous uh, full motion uh, videos like we talked about a little mm-hmm. bit earlier. And like I was saying, they had all, the, the, they still have the, the amazing green screen. You can definitely tell that they upped the production quality a little bit. Yes. Now that it's 2000, they were try, probably mixing a little bit of blue screen in there a little bit, I don't know. But since it was the first one such a commercial success, they really kind of like decided to not not pull their punch this time, any of their punches, I noticed, um, which is why they really doubled down on the weirdness, which you can kind of see with... It was wonderful. With the, with the expansion, <laughs> yeah, you can kind of see... It's, so do you remember anything about uh, the first one? I just want to get your uh, second, uh, second game at all. Second game. Is that the one where they introduced like the Chrono Troopers... For the Allied forces, or was no, that, that the is, third that's, one? That's, that's, that's the third three. one. That's the third one. Okay, so, so this two... this one this one is all about the oh, where yeah, they had the your psychic, the psychic, yeah, psychic, the psychic units, the They were like they doubled down on that weird junk, and I'm just like, this is amazing. So yes. yeah, like you said, they they introduced a character called Yuri, which we'll go a little bit more into that, but he is basically like a um, 
I guess you would call a a, a chancellor or basically an advisor to yeah. the uh, the Russian premier at the time, mm-hmm. and he is just straight up got psychic abilities essentially. Yeah. But you you can you I mean they don't even like try and downplay this. He's got like a metal helmet like that he's, covers half his head. He's like game. a two thousands version of Rasputin, you know, instead of really? the, instead yeah. of a crazy magic monk, he is a psychic soldier. I yeah. mean it's, and he's even got the little like emblem on his forehead. Exactly. Too. They play up the kind of mystic psychic angle. Absolutely. It's, was, it's good. <laughs> it's it and it was just it brought like like I said, it brought everything to the table that I was hoping to and it just dialed it up to 11 yes and, and like i said this so they actually had the the expansion which is called yuri's revenge which is kind of a foreshadowing of what happens in the game a little yes. bit it comes out in uh it comes out in uh 2001 and and that is like i said it just it just comes fully packed and ready to, ready to rock whenever it comes into into the gameplay so Due to the, this was uh, hailed as a critical and commercial success for EA, which had acquired Westwood Studios. Um, I believe it was around the same this this earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. So more than likely, uh, Westwood had this uh, kind of idea in development. Probably mostly finished. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, close. Yeah, probably. I don't know exactly what part of the year that uh, what EA mm-hmm. uh, took over Westwood, but obviously they probably had the storyboard set up for it. But with EA's you know, uh, powerhouse behind it, all these extra um, uh, groups to work on it. They they really could be probably able to push this out pretty quickly. So obviously, like I said, it was a commercial success. It was a little less well received than the original one. It actually gained an eighty one percent over most review sites at this point. There were quite a few more review sites out there, like we were well, saying in the last episode. And there was uh, a lot more competition for the at, RTS space. Like you mentioned, StarCraft. StarCraft oh, yeah. came out in that took over like a storm absolutely well you had i don't know if uh it was i think warcraft 2 had been out for a little while yes. starcraft had been out for a while but this time the total war franchise had been out for mm-hmm. a long enough time and they actually had some offshoots i believe they had and didn't rise of nations even come out yeah rise of nations the, that was, was a, i have just after riddler 2 i think and the civilization franchise had already started yeah. pushing off that wasn't an rts but still it had that it still was in that realm of like a strategy game. Well, the same type of players, because I mean, until online multiplayer became a thing, these two genres were not so different. No, not really. I mean, it pretty much came down to, are do you want real time or do you want turn based? Exactly. That's really the only difference that you come into, and some of it had a little bit, few more nuances and things like that. But it was, it was, yeah, like you said, it, they were very close cousins. Yeah. So they weren't kissing or like that. So. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'll stop with the bad jokes. Um, So anyways, uh, to kind of jump off that commercial success that they had, they they sold so many uh, of these uh, by 2006, so roughly in the six-year period. That's usually how you can gauge how well a game is done uh, back in the early 2000s. They sold $26.9 million uh, uh, worth. Uh, it's USDA, or sorry, USD, sorry, not USDA, <laughs> not US, uh, US Department of Agriculture, you don't worry about that, sorry, it's the Midwest coming out of me right there, <laughs> and I'll start talking about cattle and pigs if you want the, 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 the share crop this year, but anyway, sorry, um, so after we come back, and, and they sold that, that much, so obviously it was a huge success for EA, which I think helped platform so many of the other games, push their other games forward, because this was a huge hit for them at the time. Definitely. So, I mean, so without them, you wouldn't have 
uh, without this, you wouldn't have uh, their you wouldn't have had the, uh, their acquisitions of so many other major franchises. Like I believe, um, who who else did has EA uh, uh, taken over? I know they do a lot of the uh, Madden series, a lot yeah, of the sports franchises. They hit a lot of the sports series ones, now, which are all their big ones. But I mean, you have a lot of the other ones, like you have Dragon Age, exactly. And I'm trying to think of anything else just coming off the top of my head. But you wouldn't have them acquiring a lot of these other studios if they didn't have some of these these little bitty uh, incremental successes at the time. So. Yeah, they had some. They had some really big successes right when mm -hmm. games were becoming mainstream. Which I mean, that's 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 this was the time, like you said, in the early 2000s when video games were becoming popular yeah. among. Uh, the general public, and it wasn't such a niche anymore. Cause exactly, because I mean, the arcade scene was huge, but home gaming had been kind of a pretty nerdy, isolated thing that yeah. just people did. Yeah. And this is where it started becoming more of you know something people would actually do and talk about with yeah, each other. Yeah, and, and well, I mean, and you think about it, you know, without going into huge video game history, I mean, you had things like the Nintendo or the Super Nintendo, exactly, or. You know, or affectionately called the Famicom system, you know, <laughs> but it, you have these things that enter into the home home setting, but you it was you got what you bought and you couldn't do anything with it unless yeah. you were um, you, unless you were technology you know based job you had a technology based job where you could change the circuits and things like that mm -hmm. and upgrade it, which actually that's how some of Nintendo's properties came to be, which is a huge, cool story, <laughs> which we can get into in another episode, too. I'm laying groundwork for so many episodes for us here. So, uh, but they, you, so that's why the PC had a unique market, because you could, at this point, you could, I mean, this is the things I kind of learned from your dad, yeah. especially working in IT, mm -hmm. um, learning that you can, augment these computers and to do what you want with them it didn't mm -hmm. have to be what you bought from you know the best buy down the road you can go in and buy your own parts and put them together and you can make these things be able to run anything you want which make... is something common to do now but Absolutely. i remember back in the day i made a lot of money in high school just repairing computers for people yep. Because, I mean, these were $800, $900 machines, which at the time was a tremendous amount of money. It yeah. still is. But back then, it was a lot more. And people would just throw them out. Yeah. Like, if they got slow, if they if they thought it was broken, or if they couldn't do what they wanted, they would just throw them away and buy another one. Which, I, that's unheard the of The idea of, like, repairing and upgrading was a new concept. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of the same principle as, like, somebody owning a car. If you put a lot of work and money into a car, you're not just going to throw it out. Yeah, you know you're you're gonna try and fix the problem. It's like these, you know, you know, what I call them gearheads. They get they get they just get ratcheted into like whatever car they're working on, and they will work on a problem as mm -hmm. long as they can until they until they figure out the problem. It's the same kind of thing, I guess, with computers. Well, it, exactly, and this is why when you got to Windows 2000 and Windows XP, things got a lot more plug and play. Absolutely. Uh, if you ever worked it's a on lot a, easier now. If guys, you ever worked me. on a Windows 95 era machine. It's quite difficult to make the hardware talk to each other and agree with each other. Setting up like a proxy, do you ever do a proxy for dial-up internet? Yes. That takes a, a solid day. <laughs> it, it was, I remember us trying to it's, do it at your house and I was just like, this is awful. Yeah, and putting in new hardware involved, having to go back to the BIOS and change all the settings, and it was I mean, a, it was a mess. You can still do that. that you can do, still do that. It's, it's still a good skill, but I mean, nowadays it's as simple as just going out, buying a drive, yeah. and just plugging it in, and yeah. it works. I mean, it's you literally not, buy the component, drop it in your computer, and a lot of times it'll auto-update itself. 
Yeah, you can get us on like PC Part Picker, and you can make sure it's compatible ahead yeah. of time. But it dude, was, that thing has been a lifesaver. Even the guys, some of the guys that work there, are like, oh, I don't, I don't want to buy all my own parts. I go, I promise you, you do this, it'll cost you eight hundred dollars instead of two thousand. Exactly. I mean, all it takes is your time and effort, or you can bring it over to me, and we can put it together, and we'll we'll have fun. We'll drink a couple beers while we, we do it. You we know? built quite a few pieces. Oh, <laughs> dude, that's a whole other goal. But anyways, so so I kind of like before we get sidetracked again. And we promised we wouldn't, and we've lied already about it. So that's one strike on us. Shame on us once. <laughs> Got it. We'll leave it there. What were we talking about anyway? Uh, we were actually talking about the Red Alert. So after the, due to this commercial success, it was a lot of uh, mainly deal. It was mainly due to the them taking these um, basic gameplay things that they had in the original game, um, and also they kind of built it up and on a little bit over time through the Command and Conquer series too, yes, uh, as well. So l just like with a Red Alert One and Command and Conquer, they had they had all these basic game that the basics in the gameplay were the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you build your base, you gather your ore, you go destroy your enemy. Yeah. Simple. They kept that down, but they did a few enhancements, which was really kind of an interesting thing. And you notice if you replay them. It was, they weren't groundbreaking, but they were like niceties to have. That's why I, I kind of always look at Red Alert 2 was a nice successor to Red Alert 1, and it kind of was a good primer for Red Alert 3, because Red Alert 3 is my favorite Red Alert of all of them, no, in my much, opinion. very much agree. Just because it was just so zany. But anyway, so, like saying these niceties, they, these enhancements that they've, they've thrown in there, um, so do you remember uh, that in the game, you can actually take your infantry units, which a lot of times they were just... Cannon mm -hmm. fodder, pretty much. Yeah, you could actually go have them go in and um, they could occupy those structures, occupy structures, and like they could actually last for quite a long time. Then exactly, like pillboxes were a big part of the Allied, especially their yeah. early game defense. Exactly, mm -hmm. and so you could literally throw guys in there that you know, say you want to, you could have a mix up where you would have infantry guys in there, and then bazookas or grenade, grenadiers or whatever it was exactly. and they would still do that kind of damage so you could take out tanks infantry whatever you wanted or even if you wanted the um anti-air guys i think they threw the they started putting i think them, you could put those in there too i think yeah. they i think they could put them in there so they would actually have started having those guys in there so you could have a a full service like battalion inside of a structure that could take a decent amount of damage the structure would take the damage and then they would exit and they can they can actually take damage and they can still fight and so it's basically throwing an extra like health bar on them which is great yeah, and i think the allied troops could even like set up their own little sandbags couldn't yep. they you know? they could do they could do set, set which is that's another thing um that they kind of started putting in there started giving them little extra abilities and things like that exactly but they really went heavy in that in the third one which we'll get into that so mm -hmm. another really interesting thing they added into that which i think they kind of pulled this from uh command and conquer they started putting oil derricks in there Yes. So it was so a lot of times in the old games, I don't or the older one, the the last game, Red Alert One, you would have a finite amount of resources, mm -hmm. like on every map, even in like Warcraft or Starcraft, you know, you would have you know have to build you know you have to build more pylons or whatever. Yeah, it was. there's only or, so many, only so much ore to mine or cherries or whatever your resources for that game. Yeah, but with this one at least, they had a. It was a limited amount of money, so you basically send an engineer in, you would occupy the building, take control of the building, but you would have a steady income at that point. Mm -hmm. But it would be small, like a trickle, like a trickle, uh, yeah. kind of like you'd get maybe like $100 every few seconds or so, yeah. which is like nothing it wasn't in that lot. game. But at least it was a steady, a steady income as opposed to sending your guys out or your, your ore miners out and... 
and getting an attack, losing your ore miner, or maybe if you're ever so lucky or unlucky enough to have it drag on so long that the, the battle go on so long that you ran out of ore and then you're just sitting there <laughs> patiently waiting for, you know, watching your, your money, you know, counter tick up as your oil derrick is mm. kicking out more and more, you know, oil for you. So that was one of the nice things they threw in there. Basically, it's kind of like a lifeline to say, hey, yeah. if you do this, you don't have to sell all your all your buildings. Like, remember in the morning, because that's... We did that in Red Alert 1 where you'd run out of ore. They're like, okay, time to sell all my buildings and try and buy more tanks. And or tanks or, hope or whatever it. it is. Hope you can finish it. Just just hope to God. You're like, I'm going to push as hard as I can because I know if I'm out of money, they're out of money too. So I'm exactly. just going to go with it. So, But that was just the last ditch effort kind of thing. But, but luckily, you mentioned the engineers though, and those were cool. I still remember doing the engineer rushes. Did you ever do that? No, I don't remember. It's you could load a bunch of engineers up into a troop transport, mm -hmm. drive it right into the middle of your opponent's base, and engineers could claim buildings at that oh, point. Oh, that's right. And they could and take over... And you could, you could start taking over structures. And if you yeah. took over the opposing faction structure, you could build their units. Oh, I forgot about that completely. And it was really, really cool. And that's something we always, just when we were playing for fun, would do is <laughs> just like try and take care. over, try and take over the advanced structures for the other side, and so you could build all their super units. <laughs> and then pretty much they're like, so I guess I'm dead at this point. It's like, or I'm just gonna like half my base now belong to you. Yeah, just just flex on the game a little bit. <laughs> just flex on it. Yeah, there we go. Wow, we are totally wow. I'm such we are such boomers at this point. So. Um, so, yeah, so kind of going off of the gameplay stuff a little bit, um, the enhancements they kind of threw in there were really interesting. So the Soviet units actually, uh, obviously, like I said earlier, tended to be more durable and heavier with firepower compared to the Allied counterparts. However, like I said, they're a lot more expensive and they move a lot slower. Um, but the thing is, you could, if you, if you were able to hit the Allied units, it's pretty much like two hits and they die. Yeah, and I think this is the game where the Soviets got a tank big enough that it could drive over and smash other tanks. And so that is the one, exactly, so that was what the, was called, it was the, I stated earlier in last episode, the Mammoth Tank. Yes. Was my favorite unit in all of them, in, 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 in Red Alert 2, because I was just like, just roll over the tanks. If they were small, because you had light tanks and you had heavy tanks for yes. the allies mm -hmm. and even the heavy tank was not nearly as strong as that the mammoth tank yeah and you could run over the, the light tanks it was yeah. amazing and i'm just like i'm like this shouldn't be possible but we but we can um so but like the uh uh but unlike the uh, uh other uh, soviet units the allied uh vehicles like i said could they could outmaneuver a lot of your um Soviet units, so I don't know if you've ever done this when you've ever played the Allied faction. I would literally get like one or two of the um, tanks, and I would just do circles around one unit if you got involved. Like and you could do that because the the tanks, the big tanks, especially fired slow enough. There, it was like boom, 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 mm -hmm. boom, and then with like the other ones, you would like just do circles. Like, doo -doo 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 -doo. And the tanks had a little bit of ballistics going on. At least yeah. the bigger ones did, where you could watch the shells fly and you could sometimes dodge them. You really could. That's and like I said. So if you get like a recon unit coming out trying to find mm -hmm. your base, you could just kill it really quickly. So yeah. So like I said, and the same thing going kind of went with the with the Soviet infantry, uh, as opposed to. Um, so I apologize. Now I'm gonna backtrack backtrack that a little bit. The Soviet infantry, on the other hand, were inferior to the Allies. So like I said, they kind of offset that a little bit. And, and uh, but they were also cheaper and faster to train, so it was kind of like they took that old USSR kind of <laughs> motto 
we're gonna throw it. We're just gonna keep throwing people at it until we fix the problem. Right. Because, like, I don't know if you knew that. Like, Welcome to human resources. <laughs> pretty much. So, like, if you guys don't know this, but like during World War Two, the the the, the USSR actually lost, I think, more people. Way in excess. Yeah, you know, like population wise, compared to everyone. I think they almost basically. So, if you look at all the other countries, their amount of losses, I think they equal the amount of people that the USSR lost. Yeah. And so it was ridiculous. So it's, it's on a somber note, it, it's very applicable to the game. So, mm -hmm. which, which kind of shows they were definitely doing some of the research on this. So, okay. So continuing the, the Soviet faction also had, like I said, is a little bit more superior in the early game and inland war, inland wars, uh, because of their more powerful and advanced tanks, which we talked about earlier. While the Allied faction is uh, better in late game and has more advanced units, such as those uh, used in the naval warfare portion. Uh, so, like you said earlier, a lot of them, if what they would do is they would just try and build as many... I don't know how many online games you played in the second one as much, yeah. but... I didn't play two nearly as much as I played one and three. Yeah. Uh, but I remember two playing a couple online games, and they I remember people just doing... A lot of people would always pick Soviets, and they would just rush you as fast as possible. Yeah. But if you could withstand that initial like burst, and all you would just all you the best thing to do would just be to build uh, those pillboxes. That's what we used to always do. And those bunkers, and just throw as many like uh, bazookas or grenadiers or whatever mm -hmm. is in there to basically defend off those tanks. And if you could survive that, you had a good chance of winning the rest of the game. And you just you just had to survive it and just. Like I said, it was yeah, because they would they would literally like sell all their structures and buy tanks and try and end the game really fast. Mm -hmm. It was just just well, it was a good strategy. I mean, but you find ways to get around it. But so um, going off the, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna break you of that habit one of these days. Yep. So uh, uh, so kind of going off that, continuing like the storyline, a kind of like I said, it, it it continues where in Red Alert that obviously Hitler was removed from history and with uh, Hitler gone, Soviet Union takes over. And uh, in this one, they even though you have the two separate storylines, they definitely kind of gear towards saying the Allies won, or they move towards how the Allies won, yeah. which is why they, they say that, you know, in the, in the bio a little bit, that Joseph Stalin attempted to conquer Europe but was defeated by the Allied nations and their military destroyed. But, so it continued with, though, fearing that a regime change would cause mass unrest in the Soviet Union, the victorious Allies installed Alexander Romanov, a distant relative of Tsar Nicholas II, as a puppet uh, as the puppet Soviet premier, so it kind of diverts from the last story a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Romanov uh, acquiesces to the Allies' demands at first, but he slowly builds up the Soviet military for defensive purposes. So yes. they do a lot of things like you know North Korea. They're like, oh, we're just I'm just trying to keep my country safe and all that. But meanwhile, I'm going to build these nuclear missiles. <laughs> that's kind of essentially well, what it's just know. history there for you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is. So. Uh, but that he d builds these up for defensive purposes as a cover for the intended invasion of the United States. The story, sto uh, sto the the story's line, um, uh, the storyline starts off in 1972 with the United States Armed Forces caught completely off guard by the sudden massive Soviet invasion of the United States with uh, Soviet aircraft, naval vessels. Amphibious forces and paratroopers come in on the both the east coast and the west coast, with and with the majority of the Soviet forces 
coming in through Mexico starting World War III. So the U.S. attempts to retaliate with the use of nuclear missiles, but Yuri, leader of the Soviet Psychor, which is Psychor, exactly. which he, yeah. Yeah, and Premier Romanov's top advisor, uses his mind control to manipulate manipulate the personally the personnel charged with launching the warheads and leaves them to explode in their silos. Within hours, the U.S. is overrun with the so with Soviet army troops. The player either takes on the role of the American commander, tasked by General Ben Carville with defending the United States, or the Soviet commander leading the invasion for Premier Romanov. So that's kind of the the, the gist of that. And and like I was saying earlier, definitely you definitely kind of they're kind of dipping their toes into that kind of weirdness a little bit again. But as opposed to dipping the toe, they're kind of like. We're gonna stick a leg in this time. Exactly. It it really starts to come out in the second game. Which I love that the fact that they're gonna have some random dude. I'm gonna control them from miles away with my mind to mm-hmm. not uh, fire these missiles, which would call it cause a new nuclear holocaust, which is yeah. just kind of bizarre. But because this is when they have like the mind control units and all sorts of things start to take off in the series. Well, they really so that was the cool thing in the we'll get into that in the expansion. They really make those playable units as part of Yuri's faction and, and Yuri's revenge, mm-hmm. and not so much. They kind of use them as one-offs in in the in the in the missions, the campaign, yeah, the campaign of uh, the camp, the mission campaign, uh, campaign missions. Wow, let's talk about that. But in, if you played just the base game, they weren't they weren't available for you as far yeah. as I can remember. So, but like in the uh, original game, they had two diverging storylines depending on which mm-hmm. campaign you pick. Um, during the Allied campaign, uh, it kind of the Allied commander is sent to New York City with a special force forces team led by Special Agent Tanya Adams, which you actually deal with her quite a bit in the cutscenes, mm-hmm. and they used her. They use that stereotypical hot chick wearing like camel pants and like a exactly. shirt, like. And I'm like, you guys are really leaning into this kind of thing. <laughs> They're like, we know that sex sells, so we're gonna try yeah. and use it a little bit. It's your GI Jane stereotype. Absolutely, yeah. and I was just like, you know, I'm like don't, don't play a game like that. But you know, the teenage <laughs> boy, I was like, ooh, you know, this is gonna be great. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, but anyways, that was just kind of funny. But like I said, in in the in, in before, they used people from uh, the actual Westwood Studios in Alert One. This one, they actually had legit actors coming mm-hmm. out and playing. I don't know if any of these actors actually went out on to do anything, but it was really interesting to watch that they actually, like I said, they increased their budget for these uh, cutscenes, where you actually see these legit actors with like better sets and things like that. Still, not movie grade quality, but still, they were a lot more better than fun. your PC could play at that point. I, I mean, know, I mean... Much, absolutely. And I was just amazed. I was like, you were looking at these things like, wow, how did they ever do these? Oh, exactly. and now you're like. You can be some schmuck in a in a, in a basement recording an audio. Oh wait, wait sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you mentioning a schmuck in a basement? As a schmuck in a basement, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you can just have a a, a a blue screen that you can mm-hmm. or a green screen green screen cloth and do your own thing at home if you really wanted to. Yeah, for that's it's just amazing how far something like that has gone. Come in twenty years, so it really has. I mean the. The nuts and bolts of this type of production are much, much more accessible. And I mean, you can still buy the most expensive qual- you know, products and get a better quality thing, but if you want to make something homemade, it's just, it's really cool and interesting to see, just kind of yeah. looking back a little bit. But anyways. But I think one thing was interesting earlier too, because that's where they first started having those unique units as well as part of the story. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, where they kind of like diverge a little bit. 
Um, so kind of with the with the uh, storyline. So after you've talked to Agent Tanya Adams, uh, you you she goes in to help you repel a Soviet invasion there at uh, New York City, and then to Colorado Springs to liberate the Air Force Academy and, and then the air air base there. As they return victorious, discover discover that a Soviet mind controlling device known as the Psychic Beacon <laughs> has been deployed in Washington D.C., forcing the president and Colonel or General Carvel to surrender. The commander frees them from mind control, and the government goes on goes into exile in Canada. God forbid. Forgot us. to wear his tinfoil hat. And you gotta always wear your tinfoil <laughs> hat, Rob. I'm like, you gotta have that, and make sure you have the. Uh, have the, the what is it the the tinfoil on the on the windows? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You gotta reflect those psychic beams. Dude, now I'm all all I'm thinking of is a Weird Al. Tin <laughs> the, the aluminum foil song. Yeah, my aluminum foil. foil. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. If you guys have never seen that, go out and check it out. The man is a genius. Yeah, the mandatory fun CD was really good. <laughs> so uh, after the uh, after we've been uh, exiled into Canada. Uh, the, the the Soviets put uh, put another psychic device in Chicago, the psychic amplifier, which could control the whole country. The Allies freed the city from the Canadian base by destroying the amplifier. The Soviet commander, uh, Soviet chief commander General Vladimir, retaliates by detonating a nuclear missile in the city. Alarmed, the leaders of France, Germany, and the United Kingdom agree to finally help the U.S. If they disarm, if they dis disarm the so Soviet nuclear missile silos threatening them in Poland, which the commander and Tanya handle on the behest of the president, uh, now bolstered by the additional men and equipment, the U.S. is able to launch an amphibious assault on Soviet-occupied Washington D.C. and recapture the city. By I remember on that on that one specifically, you can actually occupy the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, do you remember? And I do, do you remember, remember how they like they put barbed wire around like the top portion of where her crown is? Yes, and like you have little <laughs> uh, little sandbags around the base. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing that. I was just like, like I don't know if we're allowed to do that. Well, that was one of the best maps too. I mean, <laughs> that really was because you I come in on like this pier. Exactly. There's like this big bridge you have to push across to get to the other side. See that's and there's the water that goes under it, and that was just a, I I love that map. That was see that map. was one of those iconic levels that you just like. You don't see, you don't see that a lot in some of the earlier games, and you can really tell that they're really just stretching their legs with the map design and things like well, that. Well, yeah, a lot of the maps had unique structures, and a lot of them were historical too, and so it was cool to play these maps with these recognizable landmarks, and then you could occupy them and blow them up, which since, was even better. Since speaking of that, actually, so after after you did uh, take back uh, Washington D.C., you go to Pearl Harbor. Um, and I'm sorry, you defend Pearl Harbor from Soviet assault and the Allied forces liberate St. Louis and all the Mississippi River south of the city from psychic control and thwart Soviets' attempts to replicate the Allied prism technology that creates, excuse me, that creates massive energy beams to destroy units. So like you were talking about unique units, mm -hmm. this is where you get into those uh, crazy units. Like they use the prism units, but it's basically, it's literally just like, uh, a tank that shoots a beam out of it. Yeah. But the more of them that you have nearby, the beam will like reflect from tank to tank and it gets yep. stronger. And so the Allies have this thing where at the beginning of their assault, when they have all of these units together, they're unstoppable. And as you pick them off, they get weaker and weaker. Yep. Which, and so it's the same concept. Talking about different, uh, we'll get into it a little bit more, but they throw the same kind of technology up and now you have prism turrets, is what they call our prism. Yes. 
towers or whatever they're I called. I love the prism towers. They were so cool to watch. You can it didn't matter what unit you were being attacked by. It would literally just go... If you lived long one. enough to drop like 10 or 20 of those down, you could vaporize anything. Yeah, well, uh, you could literally build a daisy chain to their base exactly. sometimes, <laughs> and you could just like take them out that way. I never did that one that before. I did it a couple <laughs> times, and it was choice, to say the least, so... Um, so after uh, after you you throw at the Soviets' attempts to get their Allied Prism technology, uh, General Carver tasks the commander to defend Albert Einstein's laboratory, which holds a prototype Chronosphere, which can teleport troops anywhere in the world. He is killed. He is killed by a Soviet suicide bomber. Did I read that right? Yeah, yeah. He is where he is killed. Actually, killed by a, a Soviet suicide bomber. Einstein determines the best place to build the chronosphere is in a on a tiny island in the Florida Keys, not far from Soviet Cuba. The Allies use the use the chronosphere technology. Uh, sorry, the Allies use the chronosphere's teleportation capabilities to make a Allied strike team uh, to Moscow. Take a Allied strike team to Moscow where they successfully destroy the defenses around the Kremlin and teleport a strike team led by Tanya that captures Premier Romanov, leading to the Soviet surrender. So it's basically like a giant coup d'etat at the very end. They're like, yeah. well, we're never going to be able to like push you guys back. We're just going to have to like push our way in, mm -hmm. like one little tiny strike force. So It was a cool mission, I mean. Well, I just remember, I remember looking at it, and, and you have it set up, because they teleport you in, and you have to actually wait and kind of like try to survive a little bit. And they basically you have to teleport slower and slower and mm -hmm. more and more into the further and further into the base until you get to the actual like um, uh, premier, uh, which I believe he is in the it's like the center of the base. But I just remember yeah. it just being impossible to go in by yourself. You have mm -hmm. to like teleport yourself you teleport in. So in. it's it's kind of an interesting thing. Interesting thing though. So, anyways, so. Going on to the Soviet campaign, so like I said, the after the Soviets in, in invade the United States, they go towards obviously they go in through uh, Washington D.C. and then they destroy the Pentagon, which are obviously the two big icons of our country, uh, which can be you know argued as some of the big icons of our country. Uh, the Soviets invade, uh, launch another invasion into Florida that destroys the U.S. fleet. Uh, which was threatening the Soviet invasion of the East Coast. Bes despite this, the Soviet chief commander, Vladimir, is credited with the success of those campaigns. While Vladimir is back in Moscow, Romanov's top advisor, Yuri, recommends the commander could prove his worth by taking control of New York City using a psychic beam, which they kind of go over that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And Yuri recommends, obviously, take over New York. Uh, whenever Allied forces from South Korea launch an amphibious attack on... Uh, Vladivostok, the commander successfully repels the Allies, leading German, Germany and France to send troops to the German-Polish border to defend from the Soviet aggression. The commander takes advantage of this by conquering Paris using the Eiffel Tower, which is another... Like you said, mm -hmm. they were just all about putting in these, these iconic landmarks and saying, here, have fun with it, go yeah. ahead and take over. So, I'm trying to think of anything else they had in there. Did they have one with Buckingham or the uh, a Big Bend in there at all? I can't remember if they had Big Ben. I know there was a couple palaces. I remember the Eiffel Tower. I remember the Statue of Liberty for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to remember anything else. And, and you can actually, I know... There the was arch, a lot of occupiable buildings. They had the that arch. was a big thing. You yeah, they had an arch, yeah. The arch from the Midwest there, which... Hey-oh, if you're from St. Louis, you know. <laughs> Got to do the Midwest a little bit. Gateway to the Midwest. 
Gateway to the the West, correct? Gateway, gateway to the West, yeah. That's what I thought, yeah. People so, would stop and supply in St. Louis on the Oregon that's Trail. That's right. Thank you, Lewis and Clark. Um, anyway, so after uh, the commander takes advantage of this by conquering Paris using Eiffel Tower as a massive Tesla coil to destroy the city. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> so, like you we were saying earlier, they, they take these random, like, weird things, and they're just like, we're going to, like, just ratchet it up to 11, like I keep saying. And they use these these things like the Tesla technology. I believe they actually have Tesla tanks. There was they? a Tesla tank, and they were absolute murder on infantry. I remember, just like, so if you could imagine, like, if you guys have ever played the first one, the Tesla uh, tower uh, was just, like you said, it would just decimate truth, but it was not mobile. It but, was not. But the fact that they made it mobile, and it probably didn't have as much armor, but it could still just decimate infantry troops like nobody's mm -hmm. business. It was just insane to watch. So, um, but anyways, with, with this, the European allies were forced to withdraw their support to the, for the United States. But in the meantime, Yuri, using his psychic abilities to control Romanov, bum, 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 big surprise there. <laughs> yep. Uh, to control Romanov, gives him, gives, has a Romanov give him control of the military. Much of the disgust of General Vladimir. So you kind of have the whole background there. You kind of have this, uh, like I said, like they had in the first one. It's it's still kind of that subterfuge, kind of like they had Kane in the first one. Yeah. He's the mastermind behind this. Yuri's, they're kind of replaying the scenario again a little bit, but it's oh, yeah. it's still, it's more of a, uh, a psychic one. So um, let's see. Okay, sorry. I'm going to kind of uh, jump down this a little bit. So... Um, control of Romanov. Uh, Yuri dismisses uh, Vladimir basically getting rid of him and tasks the commander with establishing a base on the Hawaiian Islands. When the Allies tried to use their chronosphere to attack a Soviet research center in the Ural Mountains, the commander successfully defends the facility. Shortly afterwards, Yuri tells the commander that Vladimir killed Romanov, declaring Vladimir a traitor and a non-person. Yuri orders the commander to capture Vladimir in the White House. After Vladimir's capture and execution, the commander successfully captures the U.S. president and destroys the Allied superpower, superweapon, the weather control machine capable of creating powerful <laughs> thunderstorms. So that was another, that was yes. like an in-game thing that you got. Well, you mentioned the superweapons on the last episode. Yep. They added a lot more of them in this one. And that's why I was like, and they, so you basically get two. Two per faction. Two per faction. So you get the chronosphere. And the weather machine for yeah. the Allies. It was the Iron Curtain and the... What else was the it? Iron Curtain and... Was it like a missile or something? Did you no, I think you get missiles for both. Or was it... Both got missiles. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. It know, there was a mind control thing, but I thought that was Yuri's faction in this. Oh, well, maybe it was. Maybe you do get both. Because there was a power that could like control like an AOE mind control. Like you'd pick a spot and control all That was troops. definitely your... No, I think that so was Yuri's faction. That was Yuri's faction. Yeah. So. I can't remember what the other Soviet one was. So... Uh, we're going to finish up this um, little bit backstory. Like I said, we'll, we'll go into, the, like I said, the, uh, the units a little bit more. So impressed by the commander's victories, Yuri invites them back to Moscow to thank them uh, for their aid. Uh, sorry. He, Yuri invites them back to Moscow to thank them, uh, but their aide, uh, Lieutenant Zofia, I'm going to try to say that correctly, I'm butchering all these names, uh, Reveals that Romanov recorded a message before his death in which he reveals that Yuri was controlling, was mind controlling him, and orders him to bring Yuri to justice. The commander attacks Moscow with the bulk of the Soviet army and destroys the Kremlin, seemingly killing Yuri. Not so much, which is why they have the expansion. Mm -hmm. 
They then use information from Yuri's files to destroy the Allies' Allies last-ditch effort to assault the Soviet Union using another chronosphere, effectively becoming ruler of the world. In the final <laughs> cutscene is revealed that Yuri has survived, his brain floating in a glass-filled jar, glass jar filled yes. with water and telepathically communicating to the commander, saying it. It would have been good to see you inside. Good would have been good to see inside your mind, General. I still may get the chance. Bum bum bum. And that, I mean, they went full tilt on it. Like what? And is... this is where things got really strange, really fast. Absolutely. <laughs> and so that was really cool. So I was remember reading a little bit. So uh, do you remember where they they put uh, Yuri at? Like where he's from originally? I don't remember. Where they Transylvania. Oh, gosh. So they're like, we're going to pick the most, like... Because that's like, the logical place for a psychic to come from. Yeah, dark, depressing place ever that, like, I, I'm like, so it, it's like, so it's like a step away from saying he's Dracula, essentially. Essentially, yeah. Uh, so I was just like, this is insane, so... Mm -hmm. But, uh, so in Yuri's Revenge, was the, like I said, the, which is the expansion they had there, uh, you have two new campaign arcs, uh, the ally and the Soviets, uh, but when you get the campaign, when you buy it, you get um, the additional faction Yuri, yes, which was really cool. Which they really, like I said, heavily puts down more of the uh, psychic control. They have cloning vats, things like that. Yeah, and I was just like really kind of interested. I think I played that faction more than any of the other ones. Whenever I bought that, I remember yeah, for Yuri's Revenge, I was more into the Allied because I really liked the prison tanks and the prison towers. Mm -hmm. But I do remember them having cloning vats. I do remember them having like mind control tanks. I think. Yeah. yeah. So his the whole strategy behind um, the Yuri faction was basically your your guys were slightly weaker than everybody else's. Yeah. They were slightly more expensive than everybody else's. Yes. So you had the worst of both worlds. But you could take control of any unit. Mm -hmm. So as long as you had a mind control unit, you could take over uh, the, the prism tanks yeah. and basically send their own units back at them, mm -hmm. which was great. It was. And so that was the whole strategy behind that, which was not a great strategy overall, but, I mean, it, it was something to work with. It was much. a lot of fun. <laughs> it was fun, but I think it had some stuff that was lacking a little bit. But mm -hmm. So this is where... You were talking about earlier with the newer uh, uh, units. They actually threw a few more extra units in with the allies. So they have the anti-infantry tank, mm -hmm. or anti-tank infantry, which they have that GI in there. Yeah. Uh, robot tanks. I don't know if you remember those or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were uh, basically the only reason they had those in there was because they were immune to mind control. Exactly. To combat them. But you had to have like a robot controller nearby. I think. Yeah, if, I think, if I think you it's what it was. Destroy that, yeah. they stopped working. Or they had, and they had another one, which is basically called the Battle Fortress. Yes. Which was, it's like a mobile bunker for the infantry no, I did love the Battle Fortress. So a lot of times what I would do, I don't know how you did it, but I would literally have like six or seven um, guys in the Battle Fortress, let them get near the Yuri guy, and then deploy them all. Mm -hmm. And then they could only take over one. Yeah. And so they would just kill him and then I'd get back into it. So exactly. there, there are ways to get around it. The Battle so. Fortress is great because when you loaded them up with a ton of units, they could really tear through things. Well, they can move a lot faster, too, than just the basic units, And too. when they died, you still had all the units, which were the allied units could yeah. dig in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what they did. They, the Soviets they would, didn't really do. I can't remember if they... If that was in, was that that one where they could basically they can set up they can uh, deploy um, defensive? It was a defensive mode. Yeah, like you deploy defense mode and they like put down some sandbags and they take out a machine, machine gun. gun. 
Yeah, I think their their armor went up a little bit, but they prevented them from moving around at all. And you had to yeah. them. And it took a few seconds for them to move in and out of that phase, which they really move into that a little bit in Rolling mm-hmm. Three, which we'll get in that a little bit. But the Soviets, um, going off the extra units they had, they had the battle bunker, mm-hmm. which was basically they could build their own um, uh, bunkers or bone structures, put units in, mm-hmm. and the helicopter gun gunship, which is the same thing. It's basically like a mobile uh, mm-hmm. uh, flying bunker. Yeah. So that's kind of what they did there, and it was it was some niceties. Um, but like I was saying, in Red Alert Three, they really they really upped it a little bit. It got it, they took it to a zany place in Red which was 3. which was great. So yeah. anyway, so we're gonna get into Red Alert Three now, guys. Um, this was the final. Uh, as far as I can tell, I don't know if they have any plans to make another one, but this was their final was the final installment. Installment. The Command Conquer series drug on for a lot longer. They did. And they even had like some first person stuff, and it was and it was not. Good, I'm not. I, well, I'm not going to go any. I'm not going to get into the last uh, Command and Conquer game that came out. <laughs> it was disappointing to say the least. <laughs> so hopefully they're going to get back to their roots a little bit, but we'll we'll see. I I really hope they do maybe do a remaster of all of Red Alert two and three. I don't know if it's been long enough for it, but yet um, because actually Red Alert three only came out in two thousand and eight, which. It's only been 12 years, which is... Gosh, it seems so much longer. Than I know, right? But it's it's barely been out over a little over a decade. So it was really originally released for PC in 2008. But obviously, like I said, this was the, one of the first ones that I've noticed that it was released for all systems except for, like, mm-hmm. Nintendo. So there was a release for the 360, the Xbox 360, PS3, mm-hmm. and OS, which I'm assuming... OS X, which I believe this is... Uh, that's Mac, I believe. Yeah. I believe so. Um, I'm not a Mac user. If you guys haven't figured that out, so I apologize. <laughs> any Android or any uh, any Apple users out there, just it's not my cup of tea. But it's what it is. Um, probably should learn. Um, they actually had an additional expansion called Uprising in 2009, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Um, which we're gonna get into a little bit more, and it adds a lot more interesting units and kind of goes into that psychic realm a little bit again yeah. too. So, so going off of uh, staying true to nature. In, they had the those live action scenes again. Yeah. So like you said, do you remember any of the major characters or any of the actors? I don't remember that one, no. Do you not remember none of the actors? I don't remember the actors. So, oh, so the one that stood out to me before anyone else, before I even looked these up, mm-hmm. I remember it's Tim Curry's in it. Really? I had forgotten that. Tim he Curry. plays the Russian premiere, and he <laughs> does this amazingly like campy Russian accent. <laughs> It's phenomenal, Perfect. and so you can tell. Like this is this is like Tim Curry after he's put on a few pounds. He's not Rocky Horror fit anymore. Yeah, he's definitely got into that. I I was the evil cardinal in Three Musketeers. I've got a little <laughs> weight now on me. Um, yeah. But this is also like before he unfortunately before he got a lot of throat cancer and he mm-hmm. doesn't do any work anymore, which that makes me so sad because he has one of the most amazing voices. Oh, Tim Curry was great. He's such a great villain. He really is. He really is. He could, but he can play anything. But I think hit between this and the other role that I love him the most in, he plays the uh, the butler in Clue. Oh yes, yes. And he is such a jerk, <laughs> and that and that is so great. So those are like my two favorite roles ever for him. But anyways, so they have him as Russian premier Jonathan Price, uh, which is he he plays the Allied Field Marshal. I don't know if you have or not. Have you ever seen uh, Brazil? So it's a weird like fi- sci uh, sci fi sci fi uh, movie. Um, he's a British actor. Okay. He also played. If you saw his face, you know him. I'm trying to think what else he's in. 
Um, he recently played, I believe he played Pope Benedict in The Two Popes. Okay. So he's got that, so I can't, because you know, Anthony Hopkins played, um, uh, the one the Pope before him, wow, I'm having a massive brain fart. Uh, John Paul II? No, not John Paul, not Benedict. No, he was Benedict then. Okay. Because he plays, um, he plays Francis, sorry, wow. He plays Francis, okay. I apologize, that was a, <laughs> that was a messed up on my part, I, I said the last time, I had the name, and I didn't even think about it. I was going to say, they can't have Anthony Hopkins play one of the German popes. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, he played, yeah, Anthony Hopkins actually played the, the German pope. He actually plays Benedict, actually. Oh, okay. So, and it's the other way around. So, and uh, uh, Price actually plays uh, Pope Francis, which okay. he actually does a really good Spanish accent. So, anyways, but then they also have J.K. Simmons plays the U- U.S. president. Do you know who J.K. Simmons is? His big role? No. Have you ever seen any of these Spider Man films? Yes. So, you know uh, uh, J. Jonah Jameson? Yes. That guy that plays Joe J. Jonah, J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson, he is Death J.K. Simmons. Okay. And so he, all the other, um, he played, he did a lot of, um, what kind of, their insurance commercials. I'm trying to remember what they, all, it's not Allstate, that's the, uh, the black guy. He does those. And I'm trying to remember whatever, God, I can't remember, but he, he always plays those car insurance okay. commercials, but that's him too. That's J.K. Simmons. Okay. And he's got that kind of, that deep, kind of like voice, and he's always kind of, kind of a gruff, kind of funny guy he's always really kind of sarcastic <laughs> guy but he's it's well they great. got some big names for this absolutely and the last one they did um which kind of spoiler a little bit they had that third faction uh uh george takei is actually the okay. he's the empire <laughs> the emperor uh of the rising sun he's in charge of that empire so that's like kind of the japanese slash asian faction yeah. Uh, a little bit, so which I would I totally forgot that George Takei was in this. Yeah, and he's, I forgot that. As well. But they all have, but you notice like every single one of the, like the 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 guys that are in charge all have like these deep voices, and they're always like mm-hmm. these iconic kind of um, uh, a little bit, I guess a little bit masculine figures, mm-hmm. I guess a little bit. But it's just kind of really interesting to kind of see all those guys in there. But um, anyways. So you can tell if you've watched any of the cutscenes, they really they go all out in this one. This is like out of all three of them, this is my favorite. I don't know how you feel about it. It's very good. It's it's definitely my favorite out of all three of them. Um, but the gameplay, the things they've added to this game, they add so much more to this game. Um, like I said, they add an entirely new faction. They mm-hmm. I guess they see the, the the love that they got from whenever they added the Yuri faction a little bit. Yeah. They add the like I said they add they add the Empire of the Rising Sun which is really a very much it's kind of like what would you call it a, a technocratic society but it's got yeah, some yeah. sort of um, it's not Hindu it's uh, not Buddhist it's uh, I guess Shinto a little bit probably, probably more of a Shinto yeah, technocratic maybe. kind of thing because mm-hmm. he definitely talks about like family and honor and spirits a little bit. Uh, a, a tiny, tiny Confucian bit. maybe then if it's maybe, family, more family. Maybe it's more Confucius yeah. a little bit. So that's that's the word I'm looking for. But like I said, but this their units focus a lot more with a psychotic and a psychic things. Yeah. And they really see that in the expansion with Uprising, which is if you've ever seen the cover art, it's literally a Japanese schoolgirl in uniform, but she's got like psychic rays and her hands <laughs> outstretched, and you're just like. Okay, so this is like on the nose. I get it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go for this all the way. So, full um, <clears throat> on kung fu hustle type stuff. I a mean. little, a little bit, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, not not the crouching tiger, hidden dragon round. It's definitely that kung fu hustle uh, kind of thing. So it's it's great. What's the one where um, 
It is Kung Fu Hustle. That's what I'm yeah. thinking of. Yeah, but the, when yeah, they do all the animal styles and the guy's like a giant frog or the Exactly. Maybe yeah. you're thinking of Kung Pao Enter the Fist as well. That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> I like my face, your fist style. We taught him wrong on purpose as a joke. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. I love, I love how they just off-centered the, the voices on that a little bit. This is the audio track. It's all it is. Just to make it intentionally terrible. It yeah. was great. <laughs> I love it. So, like I was telling you with the, the second one, where they kind of put in that uh, mechanic you were saying, where the infantry units can uh, deploy and mm -hmm. sit for a little bit. They uh, add a secondary unit to each unit, so every yeah. single unit has an additional ability. Yes. Do you? I don't remember if you remember any of them because I'm I don't, trying I, to remember some of them. I remember it's. I think they were copying that from StarCraft at that first. I think a little bit. Yeah, they do that. Right. So the one I remember, I don't know if you yeah. remember this one, is they remember the. Um, they call them. I, I always call them the radiation infantry unit from the Soviets. Yes, I so with them. Yeah. so they could literally walk in and they could shoot a little bit, but it was a slow like radiation mm -hmm. beam. But if you deployed, it was just like an AOE. They let out like an AOE radiation. But beam. it would slowly shrink in a little bit before they reset. Mm -hmm. So if you were watching it long enough, you could kind of move in slowly, slowly, and then kill them. Yeah. But it would stay, even after they died, it would stay there for a little bit before yeah. it dissipated. I remember the engineers could repair buildings and take them over mm -hmm. at that point. I remember the Allies had a chrono trooper that I think could teleport, and then they could also like phase other troops out of existence. Yeah, for a brief minute. That was, those are some end game infantry units, too. Yeah, they were cool. So, yeah, I, I totally forgot about those, actually. I think, I don't even remember if I have, I'm sure I've got it down here, because I think... You'd be happy to know. I have only three more pages of notes to go through, James. <laughs> You're just like, God, make it stop. Why did he make take so many notes? I told you I was way more thorough on this one than anyone. But um, like I said, going off that, it's okay. I got the cyanide pill. Just in, just in case you need to take it, you can you can take that capsule if you Good need to. Good old Plan C. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so like on top of that, um, they had the, I don't know if you remember this, you remember the mechanic, they added this into you can actually build your bases on, on the ocean parts. Yes, I remember that. So I remember, I remember one time I was playing, I don't know if I was playing you or Chris or who I was playing, I was looking for your base and I couldn't find it anywhere. And this is like mm -hmm. one of the first few times I'd ever played it. Yeah. And you had built your entire base except for like one or two little things on, mm -hmm. on the sea. Yeah. I was like, Mike, this is horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> this is not cool. My tanks cannot reach you here. <laughs> this is not fair. Why should I be made to do this? And like, I have to like, now I have to build naval units. This is dumb. <laughs> so, but that's the cool thing about this. They kind of balance out a few more things a little bit more uh on on the factions so instead of really uh pushing the um the allies as the superior naval force mm -hmm. uh they kind of even out a little bit and kind of give the soviets a little bit more of the um a little bit more uh i guess you would call it mobility maybe. a little bit more mobility yeah. in, in the sea and in the air and they had a lot more air units in this one too air units became a thing i remember the stealth bombers were a big thing yeah. for this so one. do you remember any of the major units that they 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 added in here at all no. Oh, you're testing me now. No, I'm, just well. I'm just trying to see Once what you Once you mention remember. it, I'll remember them, but... So do you remember in um, the Soviet, the Soviets, like I said, they really, they really, they keep those those ironclad um, uh, like uh, mechanics where they have their, they are more, they're more expensive. A lot of their units are yeah. more expensive, but they still are like hugely more like superior mm -hmm. in firepower and like that. So do you remember they have the, um, the airships? 
But with the smiles, with the, they literally. I do remember the airships. Were they like big blimps? I think they're big. Yeah, they're air. Yeah. they're air blimps. Yeah, and they literally they're their bombers, but they're so slow. I remember the big blimps because you would build like ten or twenty of them, and they would inch across the map. Yeah. Take like two to three minutes to get to their and base. And if you were the Allied, you were sending out your your uh, your fighter planes over and over to try and kill these yep. things before as, they got as to your base as quickly as possible. And so maybe once they out, reached you, you were done. No, because they were just massive AOE drops and things like mm -hmm. that, and you were just like, I'm 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 done with this. So I forgot about the blimp yard. I know. Yeah. And so they would do things. They 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 had that in the second one, but they really upped it in the in the in the mm. third one. But they also now have um, flag troopers. Uh, attack dog. Well, that's what the Soviets, but the the uh, Allied now have have strictly have the attack dogs. Yeah. So which, the attack dogs were huge for the Allies. Yeah, but so the thing that the the Soviets, you could tell that they were really playing around with mm -hmm. the stuff. Instead of having attack dogs for the Soviets, they have attack bears. They have war bears. I think that's what they call them. Yeah, I want to say they. I can't remember if they fulfilled the same type of function though, because remember the attack dogs. I remember they could pick up invisible units. Mm -hmm. They were really strong against infantry. And so even into the late game for the Allies, you wanted to scatter your attack dogs everywhere. Yeah. I don't remember using the war bears as much for stuff. No, I don't, I don't think they did as much. But they definitely... They kind of... Because like with all the other units, they definitely mirrored... Yeah, they were cool, Zach. Well, they, they mirrored the, uh, the faction's kind of ideology and mm -hmm. how they played. Yeah. With, so they were slower, they cost a lot more. I don't think they had as many abilities, mm -hmm. um, but if they were attacking, they could just maul through uh, yeah. infantry units. So, But other units they had in there, um, they had really cool and interesting things. They had new units like he uh, heavy tanks, which were like, they renamed the mammoth tanks, mm -hmm. uh, hammer tanks uh, that, could tear, um, that could actually tear weapons from enemy units uh, with uh, magnetic beams. Yes. So you can, that, you can, so you can literally grab the units and just like fling them across the map or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. So they would do things like that. And um, they had light uh, anti-infantry unit walkers called Sickles. Yes. And so it was basically just like a machine gun. But I think I don't know if it was a walker or what it was. They were like little robots, weren't they? Yeah, they could, and they could jump. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, that's what it was. I forgot about those, yeah. And so they have those. And then they also have, like I said, with a lot more... Uh, naval units, they have the Stingrays, which mm -hmm. are naval units, but they had Tesla, they had twin-mounted Tesla coils. So do you remember them? <laughs> they, it's literally, they're out front. Do you remember? I remember, can remember how they look like. They almost look like they're kind of uh, uh, thin at the back, and they kind of like move, they kind of like a pincer, and then the middle, they have two little prongs, you can see, and they yeah, shoot out from them. I do remember those. And so that's, I remember those. And then they also had the uh, Bullfrog, which mm -hmm. was an amphibious um, uh, transport, I remember using those a lot. But they also had anti. There was also anti-aircraft though. Mm -hmm. So that was a good little uh, dual purpose. So like you can kind of tell they were really starting to play with uh, different unit types and yeah. really uh, try and diversify and make the differences between the two factions very apparent. Well, and this is where both factions got so many options that you could really build in different ways. Because mm -hmm. I mean, they got some really advanced structures. Mm -hmm. Like I remember, they, wasn't there like a spy ops? I think for each one, where you could train like an invisible I, like spy type enemy. I think there was. Because I want to say the Allied, could, they had like a. It wasn't the Tanya character from Red Alert Two, but they had a a high end spy person who could like paint targets and call down airstrikes and uh, 
What did the Soviets have? They had like an espionage unit. I think they could steal technologies, if I remember. I think they did. I don't. I know. I have to look into it a little bit more, but I know. I think. Because I think if they could sneak into the opposing faction's buildings, they could steal some of their technology, and you gain some of their. Abilities. I think they could steal. Then those they stole money. That's what. They That's what it was, it was. Money. Yeah. They could steal the money. I and, remember it being very important to not let them do that. But yeah, I can't remember what they did. That's what I remember because the Allies were, like you were saying, mm -hmm. they had more of the uh, steel, the uh, intellectual stuff, like the technology, yeah, saying, yeah. and they would be able to find, um, say, they could uh, uh, steal different types of units from them with special technology. Because I remember if you stole their technology, you could actually build. You could build their uh, super weapon. You could build their super weapon, mm -hmm. or you can build like weird mix match, weird mix matched, mismatched uh, units. Yeah. Units that were like part Soviet, part Allied, which was yeah. kind of a cool concept. It was I, cool, and, and at this point, I remember like you had so much you could do. There was naval forces, air forces. You had infantry. You had tanks. Yeah. You had your super weapon stuff, and then you had your base defense type stuff, and you had this espionage type stuff. Like, there was just so much going on. So, kind of building on that a little bit, do you remember any of the uh, unique structures that they throw in there other than, like you said, I know you said that the, 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 the uh, espionage building, things like yeah. that. Those were once one of them. Do you remember any of the ones from, like, Soviets or the... Uh, uh, I know the Iron Curtain was still a thing. Yeah. I know the Tesla coil defenses were still a thing. So, do you remember the, um, the, uh, the super reactor? The super reactor. It was yeah, a, it was we did literally a, a nuclear. It was a nuclear power plant. Yeah, and I it, remember because they were great because they made so much power. But do you remember when they, if they were blown up, they would actually cause uh, they caused like, damage. Big, like atomic explosion, and they laid down like a radiation zone. Yeah, and like, it would lasted for like ten to fifteen minutes or something. Pretty like that. much it the was, rest of the game. It was stupid. I just I totally forgot about that when I was and I was reading that I was just like this is bizarre. Well, because in previous games you would just build an endless number of these little electric power plants to power up all your stuff. I know, so yeah, that was kind of just really interesting to look at that. But like you said, obviously they, they still had the infamous uh, Iron Curtain. So I think in this one they kind of dialed back a little bit on the super weapons, and I think they only mm -hmm. did one per, if I yeah. remember correctly. I'd have to look into it again. Because I think both sides could build the missile silos to launch. Yeah, I think all all factions, all three yeah. factions could do that. Um, so, like you said, they, they kind of, uh, uh, in, a, in addition to, like, adding new units and things like that, they, they really kind of, like, doubled down on this Air Force thing, mm -hmm. or the, 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 the Fire Forces thing. Like that. So, they do, like, Kiovs, like I was telling you, the MiGs, and the helicopters, mm -hmm. um, which you would eventually end up getting... Um, uh, uh, the uh, different types of warheads from the Soviets. So this, from what I could tell, I'm reading the Soviets were actually only only ones to actually get different types of nuclear missiles. It says in here. So apparently the back. Oh no, I'm sorry, nuclear missiles. So this I did read that wrong actually. So they actually got the thing was called the vacuum imploder. Do you remember this? I, I was trying to find. Tell it. me what it did. Now I remember. This is a war. It's a warhead that sucks humans. That's. Humans, vehicles, and damages buildings into a dense hole before exploding. Okay, I do my. I might vaguely recall that. See, I couldn't remember it at all because I haven't played it so long. At least. Yeah. It was just bizarre to try to. I'm just trying to look. I, I even I haven't had time to look up a video, but I was looking at it. And I'm like, I'm like, that's just not making any sense at all at this time. But anyway, so and as contrast to that, the um, the Allies kind of kept a lot of different things. They they had a wider of a range of. Technology, it seemed like, but they did things um, 
like uh, weapon scrambling rays, the freeze and shrink rays, I don't remember any of that, uh, the amphibious destroyers, magnetic mm -hmm. armor, things like that. Um, but they seem to have more of, like you said, the um, espionage yeah. kind of like tilt to it. So they had like yeah. the mirage tanks and things like that. They had the mirage tanks that could turn invisible. Yeah, and and, I, and they had, I believe they're the only one, only uh, faction that had the spy. They or, had a spy. They unit. called her Tanya. Yeah. Because I think she could call an airstrike, she could steal intelligence or something, and she could like, plant a C4. Yeah, like you said, they blow up the building, which they yeah. kind of had, they had that in one a little bit, but she was only available for, like, it missions. Was a mission, it was a mission-centered thing. Yeah, so that's when they kind of, they go off of, but the thing that the Allies, kind of like I was saying earlier, they, they really push more of that future tech. They yes. do, they still had the, um, I believe it was, they still have the chronosphere. Do they keep the robotic tanks? Uh, I don't remember. I'd have to look into it a little more. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't, it was more of, I don't think they had the patient, the, the, the robot tanks, if I remember correctly, because I think they were dealing with more of like, just like some of the other ones, especially in the first one, the allies have more of, they have that long game strategy. Like if yeah. you can make it to where you get your super weapons, you're definitely going to win. Yeah. And that seemed more kind of like what they had here. They had these. So if you noticed, do you remember, like I was saying, in the first game, you had, in Red Alert 1, if you picked whichever country you picked mm -hmm. within the faction, they would give you specific uh, super weapons. Yeah. Or not, not specific no, super weapons. a little bonus, yeah. A little bonuses. So remember in Red Alert 3, whichever country you picked, you would get a specific type of super weapon. Yes. So, like, if you picked France, you would get the proton gun or the big, or you'd get, like, a bigger, uh, like, a special kind of unit yeah. or whatever it is. So, like, if you did France, you would get, like, I think I can't remember if they called it, like, the Big Bertha or something yeah. like that. And it was a different offense. Mm -hmm. to do, I don't know if you remember that or not, but... I mean, Big Bertha was just a big bomb, I think, wasn't it? No, was it was. It? There was, like, a big cannon. I remember... That's what it was. It was a... Yeah, I remember that, because you could shoot halfway across the map with that thing. Yeah, and so... But you could only build, like, one, one of them at a yeah, time. Yeah, you could only build one of your super weapon. Yeah, I remember that. That was... That was kind of one of those random little things they kind of and That's one of the things I kind of had a, a gripe with, that you had to pick a specific country to have a specific weapon, and it kind of, like, gave you good things or bad things. So, but, I mean, they're try, they were trying different things, obviously. Yeah. So, so getting on to the final faction uh, with different units, the, like, a brand-new set of uh, uh, things of the Empire of the Rising Sun. So, just... Take a gander. What what do you think? What trope did they go with on this? Oh, kung fu. Now they did samurai. Samurai. <laughs> and like you said, it was it was kind of got that that uh, that Asian or very Japanese centric mm -hmm. kind of style. Uh, obviously, coming from like a Japanese empire kind of thing, but they use yeah. a lot of um, energy style weapons, mm -hmm. mechs. Uh, not gonna tell you that the psychic school girls, but they do a lot of transformer things. So do you mm -hmm. remember that the um some of their uh their ships can actually transform into uh, aircraft and vice versa? Yes, I do remember that. And they were pretty dang cool that way. Well, it was one of the first units where you think about it's like it's the same kind of um uh you know strategy with our concept with like the bullfrog from the from the Russian side. That you, it's an amphibious unit, but as opposed yeah. to being, it was just water or air, which mm -hmm. 
as far as I could tell, I hadn't seen something like that in a, in a game yet, which is kind of a cool no, concept. No, that's a pretty unique concept. Which, you do see that a little bit more nowadays if you play any RTSs. They do put a lot more things like that, with, like with StarCraft II. Yeah. I was trying to remember if there's three, and I'm like, no, man, it's been so long since I've done that. But their, their big thing was, like, greater versatility and being able to uh, get in there and try and uh, basically outwit or outmaneuver either group mm -hmm. uh, so they could and then they could fight whatever you threw at them essentially so yeah so like if you're the soviets you throw tanks at them you switch to being air units or mostly air units and you can fight them off or vice mm -hmm. versa or land units or whatever it was so but anyways so the basic uh storyline for this is uh kind of short and sweet um so as the soviet union uh faces defeat in the hand at the hands of the united nation uh, allied nations Soviet General uh, Nikolai Krokov and General our Colonel uh, Cherdenko, sorry Cherdenko, use a time machine beneath the Kremlin to travel back to Brussels in the year 1927 at, at the Solovey International Physics Conference and eliminate Albert Einstein. So they're pulling like what you did in the first one, where you go back and take exactly. Out they're they're just redoing the whole thing. And I was just like... Which I, might be why this series never got another continuation, because that's kind of the logical conclusion to the whole thing, is we're going to go back and undo this entire timeline. Which I kind of makes me sad a little bit, because mm -hmm. essentially you could just literally do it over and over and over again. But, I mean, maybe that is why. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, honestly, if they redid... It's like, we meet again, Mr. Hitler. <laughs> yeah, really. And it's literally like a James Bond kind of, like, scenario. <laughs> like, like, and it just becomes just goofier before but i would mm -hmm. love to see him do it again but yeah. um so after they do that they, they change the future and returning to the present they discover that chair kenko uh who was the uh colonel i was talking about earlier is now the premier of soviet of the soviet union uh and the soviets are on the brink of conquering europe but that is at that point that's when they diverge from so like in the first one that's when they diverge and mm -hmm. the empire of the rising sun moves in and the japan declares war against uh, the Soviet Union and the Allies, mm -hmm. with the desire to com with for complete world domination. Because you know, of course, why not? If you got one person says <laughs> I can rule the world, the other person was like, oh, I'm just as good as they are. There can only be one world ruler. That's I mean. true. Oh my God. There's a um, I'm trying to remember the game. Yeah, I think it's called it's called uh, World Dictator or something like that. It's like this goofy little sim. Okay. And I cannot remember when it came out, but it's essentially. Uh, world president or something like that. Okay. I, mean, I don't think I played that one. It's really goofy. It's basically you just try to, it's like a political machine. You try to guard your way to get to the top and it's just goofy and satirical. And I kind of remember. <laughs> that sounds fun. I have to look it up sometime and show it to you. But anyways, so uh, the Japanese declares war on everybody. Um, and basically they say due to our divine destiny, which is mm -hmm. very much oh, yeah. like in the, the you know, Japanese empire kind of setting. Um, uh, how they felt about things. Well, I mean, a lot of, you know... Heaven's mandate. A lot of monarchies are like yeah, that, though. It's the, it's so. the mandate of heaven. So they, they basically say, we are the only ones that can be uh, world rulers. And, and they endure the elimination of Einstein. Nuclear weapons never get invented in this game. Uh, are never invented <laughs> in this game. The Soviet Union is unable to stop the invasion. And at that point, three, the war of uh, three powers, of three world war between the Soviets, allies, and the empire uh, kick off. So that's kind of the basic... Uh, storyline. I don't know if I'm going to get too into the uh, storyline um, or each campaign again, 
with each everybody because it's a little it's a little convoluted and you guys can watch it and you know it's like most of them i'm sure it's up on youtube now it's definitely up on youtube so but it definitely it definitely kind of like you can pick one of three lines and all of them always have that um uh unique ending where their leader wins and they rule the world it's pretty mm -hmm. basic but there's one thing i want to touch on that I, I don't know if you remember i completely forgot about it okay. so do you remember the end of the empire of the rising suns thing I at all not. so the it's it's one of those things that they put in there so there is an actual mission in there that you take control of a giant mechanic mecha or mecha samurai oh gosh and like i said <laughs> and you go in and you just destroy things i did i remember that <laughs> and if you get bored and you want to see this guys and so that's some foreshadowing because i don't know did you see the the new story a while back about the giant um uh mobile suit gundam that the japanese a japanese company built that's actually it actually moves I saw like a small scale one. Do they make like a full size? It's, it's one? a. It's a full, I don't know if it's full size, but it's humongous. Wow! No, I did not see I think, that. I don't know if it's has, if it's pilot pilotable or it has somebody in it or if it's like controlled by robotics or not. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Like I can't remember they distributed. It's that's 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 something. Oh that, wow, that thing's enormous. You see it? You see it? Yeah. Oh, that's classic Gundam too. I know. Not the not the not the endless wall stuff that you guys seen with all your fancy yeah, mechanics. Yeah, no, no, this isn't even Gundam. Like, this is like the old school Gundam. Gundam, Gundam. I know. I was like, that, that is, is awesome. That is that is a super Japanese thing to do. They're like, we're gonna make an iconic anime uh, mecha unit just because. And I'm just like, why not? You know, you guys do your thing. So, anyway, so this this game was also well received. Um, and it received about around eighty two percent from most. Uh, critics and things like that um, but this was one of those things this is kind of where EA, EA kind of starts rearing its head a little bit um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this or not but they did that uh, secure ROM thing yeah which is kind of a, a predecessor to the um, it's not the DVR it's um, what's it called where basically you have to have uh, internet connectivity it was the digital rights management thing so this yeah. is when they you had to have the CD in the disc tray to play, and you had to be online. And well, also it was one of those things where this was in the era of extremely heavy-handed digital yes. rights protection, and and which I mean I can understand it. Where like bit. even even owning the game legitimately, it was a pain in the butt to make it work. Exactly. So kind of go into that a little bit. The the executive producer Chris Corey he actually stated that um, that whenever this was released. It was coming. It would come uh, bundled with this secure ROM, which the software it prevented you. It only allowed you to activate and install this game five times oh, with the gosh. serial with the serial code. Wow! But you had. But the very first, like you said, the very first time you activated it, you had to be online to do it. Yes. And they still kind. Of, they have that a little bit. I think they deactivated it, the secure ROM where you have to have it installed. Because mm -hmm. I remember I actually bought it on Steam a long time ago, like whatever. Because I was like, I've yeah. got, I've got it in here somewhere, on my stack of games that I have back there. I have Brother Three, but I remember trying to put it in and it wouldn't let me install it. So I actually had to go back and buy it off of Steam. I bought it for like twenty bucks or something like that. Yeah. And I was just like, but I guess they removed the install thing. But you have to still have to connect to the internet mm -hmm. with, through EA servers. Yeah. Which which is just bizarre. 
It was bizarre because I remember Red Alert Two requires you to have the disc in the disc tray. Yeah. And so, and unlike previous games that had that security feature, it had to stay in the disc tray while you were playing. Yep. So we used to, uh, back when we were young, poor children, we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we uh, had a virtual disc drive we had installed where you yeah. partitioned off a part of your hard part of your hard drive to function as a disc drive, and you could notice. I, notice I remember, the I remember us doing that. That is. <laughs> That is some hacker shit right there for you guys. Um, that was that's how we did things back so in the day. So you can have a fake virtual disc, and you can actually still do that drive. a lot. You can. It's, I can't remember what because that. we would buy the game once, and then we'd all try and play at the same time off the one disc that we had. Yep, I re I do remember that actually. That was that was tremendous. Oh my god, you, I totally forgot. I'm, I'm so glad you brought yeah, that back up. Yeah, because in the first game you just had a crack file, but then they yeah. got wise to that. In the second yeah. game you had to have the disc in. Mm -hmm. And in the third game, that was the answer to that, was that you could only install it five times. Yeah, see there, guys, we're not <laughs> that aimlessly you make us out to be. So I don't think you probably ever thought of, us, thought of that of us to begin with, but, you know, it is what it is. So, yeah, but yeah I remember that vividly. Yeah, I, I can remember if you, you showed me that, and I was just remember you showing me that, and I'm thinking, I'm like, God, I'm so out of my depth here. And I've never, <laughs> I was like, I'm at the, without trying to kiss your, kiss your butt a little bit, I was like, I'm sitting at the feet of a master here, and it's like it's like a student learning something for the first time. You know what I'm saying? And it was yeah. just like so. You you showed me quite a few things back in the day, and I was just like completely oblivious. Oh, I was to just it. copying what my dad showed me. I know that's a, that's the great thing about it is because I didn't know that, and I just assumed. Well, you couldn't just look it up at that point. You had no. to, you had to know someone who knew. Yeah. Unless you were into computers enough to understand the tech forums at the time, oh, which yeah. you could find anything on, but. I know, which for, was for was, a kid that wasn't an approachable way to learn something. No, no, no. no. It wasn't like a YouTube tutorial. <laughs> no, not at all. So, but, but yeah, that was one of the only really big things that I found that was like controversial about the game. Um, so, I guess to wrap things up, what what are your? I know we've been sitting here for probably what a good hour, probably if not more, yeah. probably talking about these last two games. Yeah. So, like, what are your what are your overall feelings of the game? Overall, the whole trilogy was awesome. I mean, like we've talked about for many reasons, it was a big landmark oh, in RTSs in general. Uh, having talked through them, I think Red Alert 2 might have been the one I played the most. It's definitely the one I remember most clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was just a riot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I will say, more than the competitive stuff, I enjoyed just sitting on the map and just building it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, overall, they were just really, really great quality games. Like you, we talked about, the cutscenes definitely set them ahead of their time in terms of story missions. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have a lot negative to say about it, really. No, I mean, not really. I mean, I mean, it, certainly the resource management and stuff is kind of simplistic by today's standards, just yeah. having the one resource, but... Well, I mean, with StarCraft, you know, like you said, you've got three separate resources that you have mm -hmm. to build up on, which I think that's what kind of set it apart a little bit, so... Yeah, which and the, I, the idea of, like, uh, newer games have this idea of a housing or, like, a troop capacity thing. Yeah. They didn't have that. You could no, just keep building. you could just build, <laughs> could just build enormous enormous as much as you could afford, you could build. Enormous armies, I remember that. Just massive amounts of armies. But, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, I can't, I, I don't really have anything negative to say about it. I mean, like I said, it definitely hasn't aged well. As well, as well as I remember it. Yeah, I mean, but they were really great fun. games. They they don't have the timeless competitive quality of StarCraft. I think for a lot of that reasons, they don't have the same level of complexity. They don't have the same level of multiple resource management. But mm -hmm. I think that's part of what made it so much fun for so many kids and teens mm -hmm. to play is you could just get on there and have a good time. 
No, absolutely. I think that's kind of like what you were saying earlier. I think that's kind of why you didn't really, you don't really see a Red Alert 4 mm-hmm. on the horizon anytime soon. Yeah. And it's, like I said, they're going to just keep doing these remasters to keep their the property in, in their wheelhouse. Exactly. Keep so, it from falling out of copyright. Yeah, falling out of copyright. And so they can just keep it uh, in case they ever do decide, you know, maybe they want to have a resurgence of Red Alert 4, Command and Conquer, or whatever, you know. It's yeah. just like... So they can do that whenever. So, it, like I said, it's it, it. Like I said, even though it hasn't really aged as well as it could, I still find a lot of nostalgia in it. And during this time, I don't know like you guys, but nostalgia is exactly what I need. A nice little <laughs> shot of nostalgia in the in the in the butt to keep me going, especially with all oh, the quarantining gosh. and yeah. all the awful crap that's happening nowadays. It just it's it, the name of the day this summer for me at least. I mean, it's just well, also like it's hitting the fall now. And it's just like I like to sit in my basement. I don't have to do as much yard work. Mm-hmm. It's I can kind of just chill and play a little bit of RTS and mm-hmm. just relax a little bit. So yeah, and it's kind of one of those games I kind of hope to maybe like let my kid take a look yeah. at it when he gets a little bit older. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Jackie will kill me if I ever let him do oh, that. Yeah. But mentioning nostalgia, the Super Mario 3D All Stars I think is going to be played this week. Oh my god! <laughs> so that's that's another that. thing. Talking about hints, dude. When I was saying that earlier in last week's episode, yeah, man, dude, we've got a uh, an episode on the on the horizon. It's got uh, over Mario sixty four. If you guys are interested in it, mm-hmm. I think James and I might sit down with that one again. Yeah. But if, does Luigi uh, exist? Oh, I do. There's so many fun things I want to talk about <laughs> that I found out about it that are just bizarre. The ideas mm-hmm. that Nintendo went into, but yeah. it's just Nintendo being Nintendo, which mm-hmm. is what I love about them. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, if you guys are uh, going to be interested in that, um, I believe uh, next week's episode might be over uh, something that Jackie and I might be looking into, um, and the week after that. Well, I'll take that back. So this is going to be a two-parter, like I said earlier. And uh, this will be for uh, Red Alert 1 will be over the, the next week's episode, uh, this coming week's episode. And then the week after that, we'll have the second half of Red Alert uh, for Red Alert 2 and 3 that James are going to And then after that, I believe we're going to be trying to go into either uh, Crash Bandicoot or something similar to the Jackie and I, something nostalgic for her. And then maybe if our schedules align correctly, mm-hmm. James. <laughs> I think it will. I think it will. I think we're going to try and post, uh, or try and push for uh, Mario 64, especially with the, uh, like you said, Mario Super Mario All-Stars 3D coming out. It seems like the time to talk about it. I mean, I definitely I definitely have it on my Switch already. So. I do too. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to try and play it a little bit to kind of get into that mode a little bit. So... If you guys are, uh, like I said earlier, if you guys are interested in any of the topics we have, like I said, follow us on YouTube, Facebook, or you can follow us over uh, Buzzsprout. I have a, a lot of links anywhere that are going to be posted um, if you feel interested. in. if you guys have a topic you want us to talk about, please let us know mm-hmm. because we are more than happy to dig into some of these things because right now... We're just doing stuff that we enjoy. Oh, yeah, and let us know what you think of the format and everything else, too. And like I said, and if we're getting too long-winded, if we're getting tangent-happy on things, if we're talking... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should see this face. He just got a bit of a grumpy face. We could just talk. I mean, that works for me. That is, too. We are, we are some of the, the most yappy SOBs I've ever met in my life, especially when we get around each other. But, yeah, guys, um, if you have any questions, concerns, obviously get a hold of us, and we will get things straightened out, and uh, we will try and make it a better program for you guys as well as for us so again guys thanks for stopping by and we will talk to you guys next time thanks bye
If you're interested in keeping up to date with new episodes on our channel, add us on any of your favorite podcasting apps, or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Seriously Pointless Conversations. If you have questions or concerns, please email us at seriouslypointlessconvo at gmail.com. We appreciate any feedback. Thank you for listening to our show.